name is Jennifer Cote, and the reading today is from Acts chapter 22, verses 1 to 21. And you're welcome to follow along with me in your e-Bibles, or your real Bibles. <laughs> Acts chapter 22, 1 to 21. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the, fathers, the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as also the high priest and all, all, all of the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, please join me in prayer for Joseph as he prepares to preach. 
Um, Father God, thank you for Joseph. Um, thank you for the word that you've given to him to bring to us this morning. I pray today for your peace, a sense of your presence, and the empowerment of your spirit, Lord, as he's speaking. And I pray for us that we would be open to the word that you would want to speak to each of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Amen. It's good to see all of you today and worship together. Um, it's been great um, yeah, to be here with you guys. Men's and women. <laughs> so, um, have you ever been told to share a testimony of how you came to know Christ? When I was in the youth group, we were always asked to share our stories of how we accepted Christ. It always follows the standard three-point outline, as you all might be very familiar with it. Your life before you met Christ, how you met Christ, and your life after you met Christ. To be honest, growing up, I always wish I have a dramatic conversion story, but I don't. My wife, Angeline, has an interesting one. When she was in high school, she was invited to a movie night by a group of close friends, and I was in that group. <laughs> when she arrived at a movie place, only she realized that it was a movie theater converted into a church. And the movie that she was going to watch was a gospel movie. And on that night, she accepted Christ. She would tell a story of how she would have to travel for one and a half hours with multiple transit exchanges to get to the church. As Angeline wasn't growing up in a Christian family, she had to wake up early on Sunday while everyone was asleep so that she could sneak out of the house and go to church. And her mom would assume that she was going to a friend's place to study. At home, she would have to wait until everyone was asleep at night and hid in the washroom to read the Bible. On her baptism day, she had to explain to her mom and grandma why she was bringing a towel and extra clothes. She had to tell them she was going for a swim with friends. She wasn't lying though. She was going to a pool a baptism pool, and doing something similar to backstroke swimming, you know. <laughs> so whenever she shared her conversion story at the youth evangelistic camps, the young people would be inspired and wanted to know Christ more. Some of you might identify your conversion story with Angeline's, but some of you might be like mine. My conversion story is a lot less dramatic as I, as I grew up in a church. And Paul's conversion story as we have seen today in Acts 22, I think is one of the, if not the most, dramatic ones. It is one of those stories best to be shared at an evangelistic meeting. This passage of Acts 22 records Paul defending himself by sharing his testimony to the angry mob of Jews in Jerusalem. However, these audiences were not some young kids at kids' camp who wanted to know more about Christ. These are the zealous Jews who were in the process of beating Paul to death. And Paul asked permission from the Roman commander to address the mob that had just attacked him. Granted permission, he addressed the crowd in their native Aramaic and identified himself with them as a Jew. Like a three-point outline conversion story, Paul's address falls into three parts. His life before conversion, 
the experience of his conversion and his commission to preach the gospel to all people and to the Gentiles after he accepted Christ. Now, let's dive into verse 1 to 5, Paul's life before his conversion. And so here, in the first part of his story, Paul begins his testimony to impress a Jewish audience who is zealous for the law. He focuses on his Jewish credentials. And from a young age, Paul had been zealous for God. He had a Jewish lineage that few could compare. He grew up in Jerusalem, where he was educated by the renowned and highly respected Rabbi Gamaliel. As a Pharisee, he was taught according to the strictest law of the Jewish fathers. His zeal to preserve the law led him to persecute the Christians, whom he called the way. He even persecuted some of them to death, and he imprisoned not only men, but also women. And Paul used his testimony to relate himself to his Jewish audience that he was zealous for the law and God, just like them. Like Paul, before his encounter with Christ, the Jewish audience thought that they were defending the Jewish tradition and their sacred laws. But all of this religious zeal had not reconciled them to the God of Israel. In fact, it was this very zeal that had let the nation kill her Messiah. And now, this same religious zeal was stirring them to try to kill the messenger that Messiah had sent to tell them the true gospel. Isn't this kind of religious zeal dangerous and still present? From the past centuries to the current day, we notice that religious zeal is behind much of the oppression and injustice that, we've seen, that we have seen around the world. The Crusades, the Inquisition, the Muslim wars to conquer North Africa, modern Islamic terrorism, racism, and the indigenous residential school incidents, all of these events stem from religious zeal. But Paul's testimony makes it clear that we can be zealous for God and yet be outrageously wrong. We can be zealous for God and actually be fighting against Him. Our religious zeal could be just a cover-up for our sins, which are pride and prejudice. No amount of religious zeal can atone for sin. Friends, our zeal for God must be based on the radical love which Christ extends to us. And from this radical love, we are given the great commandment, as we all know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. God's radical love first extends to us, and so we are called to love radically. And this is what differentiates us from the Jewish mob with their religious zeal. In the Bible, we know that Jesus condemned the scribes and the Pharisees who emphasized the law too much that they neglected the love of God and his people. They even missed the Messiah that they had been waiting for. I think it's much easier to obey a set of rules and, and laws. But the new commandment that Jesus gave us, I think, is actually the hardest to obey because I struggle this every day. Like how to love radically, and how to love unconditionally is really one of the hardest things to do. 
And after telling his life story before conversion, Paul explains to his audience the drastic change that he experienced on his way to Damascus. And this is the second part of his conversion story. And Paul is telling the Jewish mob that he has personally met with Lord Jesus. Paul was on his way to Damascus at about noontime when he suddenly saw a bright light dashed from heaven. And Paul has been doing what he thought was for God. He was zealously defending the Jewish faith, seeking to get rid of those who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. But when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, his grace and power humbled Paul. Paul was knocked down to the ground and was blinded. And Jesus asked Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Paul responded. And Jesus replied, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Then Paul asked, What shall I do, Lord? If you notice in his encounter with Jesus, Paul called Jesus Lord twice. He realized that the one whom he had been persecuting was the Messiah. This is such a miraculous account of Paul's conversion. And we could see God is the center of Paul's salvation. Paul's conversion came solely from God. There was nothing that Paul did to earn his merit for salvation. How could a blasphemer, a persecutor, be worthy of God's salvation? Paul was transformed not because of his worth or of his own willpower. It is solely because of God's grace and power. And the scripture says it clearly. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them. And our salvation does not depend on our own effort, but on God who shows mercy. That's in Romans 9.16. If the powerful and gracious God is mighty to save a horrific sinner such as Paul, he is able to save anyone. So similar to Paul, God is the center of our salvation story. No matter how many terrible sins you think you have in the past, or you may have been rejecting God in your life, Jesus is mighty to save you. If God can transform a violent soul into a Paul who loves radically, radically for God, there's no sin too big for God, and there's nothing too hard for God. Coming to the last part of Paul's testimony. After Paul asked, what shall I do, Lord? The third part of Paul's conversion story is God telling Paul what he has called to do. God had a calling for Paul. He said Paul would be his witness to all people. From the final part of our passage today, we can see the exchange between God and Paul regarding his calling. You know, initially, Paul wanted to stay in Jerusalem and be a witness to his fellow Jews. However, that wasn't the calling God intended for Paul. So, when he returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, he fell into a trance and saw Jesus telling him to leave Jerusalem immediately because the Jews would not accept his testimony about Christ. And Paul argued that maybe the Jews were still fresh in their mind that he was an anti-Christian. Maybe many could still remember that he was responsible for Stephen's death. 
Paul thought that his radical change after he met Christ would make him an excellent witness to convince the Jews. But his former story actually made them more unwilling to listen to him. As we can see in the later part of the passage, the Jewish audience went crazy and asked for the death of Paul. That was why the Lord sent Paul to the Gentiles. From Paul's testimony, we can see living according to the will of God often comes with pain, persecution, and temptation. And so many, there are so many times in the Bible that Paul was beaten, stoned, imprisoned, and threatened with death. In verse 22, when Paul mentioned the word Gentiles, before he could even finish his speech, the Jewish mob went wild and wanted to kill him. Friends, being a witness of Christ does not mean our life will be smooth sailing. We know many Christians were persecuted for being a witness of God. Even in our modern days, Christians in India, China, and other parts of the world are still being persecuted. And I'm thinking, being a witness of Christ in our Canadian society, as we all know, has got its challenges too. And I recently heard from a very close friend of mine that he has rejected from a job offer because they knew he is a devout Christian. He was even told to remove anything that relate to Christianity from his resume so that he could have a better chance to get a job in Vancouver. How can we be living a living testimony in our current society where the influence of the churches has significantly declined? In his book, Christians in a Circular World, The Canadian Experience, Kurt Bowen mentions, today, our public political domain, most notably our public, public schools, no longer seems capable of recognizing, let alone affirming, our Christian religious diversity that is only likely to grow in the future. And the percentage of Canadians who actively participated in a religious community has dropped from a strong 60% to 20% or less today. Observing such a dire situation with more non-religious individuals in the future, and Bowen argues, we may reasonably expect that life satisfaction will decline. Concern for others will diminish. Marriage will grow more fragile. Family and friendship networks will shrink. Volunteering might become less frequent and we will grow even less generous in our so very affluent world. I think Bowen is right. I think it is in such a challenging situation that faithful witnesses of Christ are greatly needed. But how? How can we, as an individual, and as a church, and we are here as FBC, being a living testimony in our city, in our workplace, in our family, and in our, in our relationships? As Paul was called to express God's radical love to all people, we, the church, ought to express the radical love and the radical welcome of God to all regardless of class, regardless of race, regardless of their initial moral condition. This type of radical hospitality is what we need in our Canadian churches. 
your story, my story, doesn't need to be as dramatic as Paul's. You might feel like the words radical love and radical welcome are too big of a concept or are too far away from you. But I hope to encourage you today, whether you are listening online or you are here in person, a tiny act of kindness, even if you don't realize, realize it, is expressing God's love and hospitality to others. And I would like to encourage those who have been doing good works faithfully, works that have been done in public and those in secret. What I love about FBC is that there are so many among us who have been extending God's love and hospitality to others in many, many different ways, such as buying groceries for a family that is in need, being a faithful listener year to those who are hurt, serving meals to the homeless, or even being an usher and greeting people at a church on a Sunday service, advocating for injustice, and many, many more. I want to encourage you to continue the good work and persevere in being a living testimony of God. And for those who feel like it is hard to be a witness of God, you feel like you are just not there yet, you started to feel tired of religion, God, and the brokenness of the world. You feel like your life is in darkness, you have nothing to offer. Let me encourage us, including myself, to be a living testimony means to put our trust in God amid the storms and battles in our life. It means that although you may be in an extremely difficult or painful situation, you learn to trust that God is with you in the midst of your suffering. And our life in suffering can be a witness to God too. Today, may Paul's question, what shall I do, Lord, be the question we continue to ask in our life. I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us, help us, and strengthen us to be his living testimony, even if we are in the midst of suffering. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.